We are in a series talking about relationships. If you are just joining us, we started this a couple weeks back, and we have a couple weeks more. And today we're going to talk about suffering because it's Mother's Day, and that is uh, <laughs> that's perhaps fitting. Uh, you began your life as a mother suffering, and hopefully it's not all suffering. It's great. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But all of our relationships have suffering. All of us will suffer, right? Every one of us will suffer. There is no exception. All of our, all of our lives taste suffering. And at some point, we all die. So we all experience the ultimate suffering that there is. And it's not just that we experience suffering, but the people around us experience suffering. Probably this week, you had some conversations with people that shared some of their suffering. I know I talked to people about physical pain this week. I talked to people who I, I did a funeral this week, so I sat and talked with people that are suffering the, the ultimate loss, talked with people who have work troubles and traumas that they are dealing with, and we see people around us all the time that are suffering. Sometimes we see it, uh, sometimes they share it with us. It's kind of a mix of both of those things. And what kind of suffering are you experiencing around you right now? Not necessarily your suffering, but what kind of suffering has been uh, shared with you? Or do you see the people that you have relationship with dealing with? Maybe school troubles, maybe sickness, maybe just hard day, maybe loneliness, maybe sadness, depression, maybe work, maybe death, all sorts of different suffering that we are around. And we can wonder, how do I help? How do I help the people in my life that are suffering? What do I say? What do I do? What do I not say? What do I not do? We can wonder how to help the people around us because it's going to be around us all the time. And the closer you get to people, the more of their suffering that you will see and that you will experience. And so, how do we, how do we grow in helping each other with the suffering that we have? Think about, I've asked you to do this throughout the relationship uh, series that we're walking through, but think about one person or maybe two people in your life that you want to be able to grow in your relationships with. The series that we're looking at is talking about moving beyond basic. We all know some kind of understanding of how to do relationships, but there's more that God wants to help us in, more that God wants to train us in, to be more equipped to relate to the people in our life. So think of one or two people. Maybe there's someone right now around you that's suffering, a spouse or kids or friends, people in your community group. What would it look like if you could grow in serving people that are suffering? And don't only think of the extreme suffering. Even just think about as people share with you that their day was hard. Wouldn't our relationships be better if we grew in knowing how best to care for people that are suffering, that are going through difficulty, that are going through pain, that are going through trouble? Wouldn't our relationships be better if we could grow in doing that? And so this is what we are going to talk about today. How do we help one another in our suffering? And the first thing I want us to look at is just this question. What does God want for us in our suffering? And, and really the same, we could change the wording to be what does God want for them, whoever the people is that you're thinking about. What does God want for them in their suffering? What does God want for someone on a hard day? 
What does God want for someone that's experiencing any kind of difficulty that they face? What does God want for us? What does God want for them? So think about recent pain, recent suffering in your relationships. What does he want? Does he kind of just want us to ignore it and just, you know, put that out of your mind and don't think about it, just ignore it? Is that the main thing he wants? Does he want us to learn some lesson from it? There's truth in that. Sometimes God wants us to learn something from our suffering. Suffering can be a a great gift that helps us. But is it mainly after that he's trying to teach us a lesson? Is it mainly that he wants us to kind of just pull ourselves up and deal with it and kind of be a man or be a woman or whatever it is and just kind of, you know, don't let this phase you. You can overcome this. Is that mainly what he wants for us in our suffering? What does God want for us? In our suffering. And Paul is going to give us this key passage that really helps us hear God's heart for what he wants for us, what he wants for others, and then how we can help one another. So let's read this together. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And he gives us this key word over and over again and really throughout 2 Corinthians, but it is comfort. What God wants for us to experience in the middle of our suffering is comfort in any kind of affliction. He says God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those in any kind of affliction. And it uses that all in that any because there's a lot of different kinds, right? We don't just have one kind of suffering, one kind of affliction. There's all sorts. I listed some of them. There's relationship troubles and work troubles and physical troubles and emotional troubles. And God wants in the middle of all and any kind of affliction that we face, the thing that God wants for us to experience is comfort. I don't know what you think about when you think about that word comfort. What comes to your mind when you think about comfort? If you kind of type into Google Images comfort, uh, some of this kind of stuff comes up. These are my feet. And um, no, not really, but they're, you know, just kind of, it's covered in some sort of furry thing or there's, this guy doesn't look that comfortable because he's got a shirt tucked in, but he's in this, uh, he's in this, you know, chair. I can't remember the name of these chairs, but they, they kind of surround you, right? Or there's uh, this kind of cozy, comfortable. Again, you've got something covering you. You've got something warm, a large mug, uh, encyclopedia or something that she's reading. You've got this. This looks very comfortable. You've got a giant beanbag plus a matching blanket plus popcorn. You're, you're just kind of covered in this. And maybe you think about uh, comfort food, which really, if you think about comfort food, similar idea. It's covered usually in something, cheese mainly, uh, it's covered in sauce. No one says, oh, comfort food for me, carrots. That, that's not, you might like carrots, but that's not a comfort food unless it's baked carrots covered in cheese. I don't, and that still sounds gross, but uh, covered. It's usually something that's kind of covered, surrounded in. Even this picture where you've got a little kid that's 
that all these images of comfort, it's you're surrounded, the bear is up in your face, you're blank, you got blankets around you. And one last one, this one is similar, just the adult version. I don't just want one teddy bear. How can I cover myself in teddy bears? And these images really get at what comfort is. Comfort is this idea of being surrounded in something, enveloped in something, totally covered in cheese and teddy bears and blankets. It's comfort is I am totally surrounded, enveloped, drenched, soaked in this thing that helps me. That's what God wants for us. In the middle of our suffering and in the middle of whoever, whatever relationships around you, what God wants is comfort, which is this enveloping, surrounding, caring, loving comfort. That's his desire for us. And how does he give it? How does he give it to us? It's through one another. He comfort, look at the logic of this. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort that we received from God. So you're suffering, God comforts you. Why? Well, because he loves you and cares for you, but he also comforts you so that through you, he can comfort those around you. You comfort other people with the comfort that God has given to you, which means this, in your suffering and in your pain, when we don't turn to God, it actually is selfish because we end up robbing the comfort that we could get from God. We end up robbing someone else from being equipped to give that person that comfort that God gave to us. We talked about at the very beginning of this series, just kind of the, the overarching idea is that we are made for community. God calls us into community. The Christian life is the community life. The quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life. And yet sin is this kind of self-centered impulse in us that keeps us focused on us, which then hurts our relationships. One of the ways that there's a self-centeredness that can affect your relationships is a self-sufficiency that when you are suffering and struggling, you just deal with it by yourself, which means you never receive comfort from God, which means you never are able to give comfort to those around you with the comfort that you got from God. You see, your suffering isn't just about you. God wants to comfort you in the middle of it so that through you, you can be a comfort to other people. So what God wants for us in our suffering is comfort. And the way that he intends to bring that into our life is as we receive comfort from him, we then know how to comfort other people because we've been comforted by him. That's the big idea. And now what I want to do for the rest of our time is answer this question. How have we been comforted to comfort? And I'm going to give you several ways that God brings comfort into our life and how that then trains us to give that same kind of comfort to others. And I'm going to tell you, I've got several ways. I'm not going to tell you how many because I don't want you to be nervous because it's 45. It's not really 45, but it's 11. So that's <laughs> there are several ways that we have been comforted that we can then comfort one another. So here's how we'll start. 
The first thing is this, that God sees our pain. Psalm 31 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul. Listen, whatever it is that you're going through right now in your life or whatever you've gone through, sometimes, sometimes you've had something kind of go on in your past and right now it might be pretty good. Right now you feel pretty good, but you've kind of just moved on from what happened back here. And the truth is this, anything, any suffering, any pain, any difficulty that you have faced, God has seen it. God sees it. And he wants us to know that he sees it. And listen, some of you probably have things that you haven't shared with anybody else. I have talked with people who have deep secrets of pain and hurt that they have not shared, even with their spouses. Sometimes we go through very difficult pain and suffering, and we think it's a secret. God says, I see. I want you to know that I see your affliction. I see your suffering. You are not overlooked, and there is no secret pain from God. This is the comfort that he wants to comfort us with. And it's the same comfort that as we know that, as we believe that, as we experience that, that we can then give to each other. Because we are called to do the same, to see the suffering of others. We actually looked at this verse last week, but it's relevant for today as well, where it says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And it's this idea that we serve one another proactively. But even just this phrase that we should look means we should have open eyes. We should have open eyes, just as God has open eyes. God sees you, and we, as we experience that, begin to go, I want to see other people. I want to see what they're going through. God says we should look. And I like the way Proverbs says this too. It's talking about uh, our involvement with the poor, but he says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. But the sharing with those that are in need comes from an eye that is bountiful. This is a compliment we don't give very often, but we should start doing it. You've got such bountiful eyes, which means your eyes take in so much. They see so much. This is how God's eyes are, right? God sees all of your life and your pain, and he calls us to bring that same kind of comfort into each other's lives. What if we just grew in having bountiful eyes in seeing what was around us? Secondly, we are told that God cares for our suffering. It says, the Lord passed, this is, this is in Exodus uh, with Moses, and God reveals who he is to Moses. He says, here's who I am. Here's, and this becomes one of the most popular verses in the whole Bible that's quoted about God's character. And as he passes in front of Moses, it says the Lord, this is what God kind of self-declares of who he is. It says the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. When God wants to make himself known and say, here's who I am. Look how profound it is that he starts with the word compassionate. God says, I want to introduce myself to you, Moses. And throughout all of scripture, this I believe, is the most quoted verse in the Bible. And God says, here's who I am. Here's who I am. 
I don't know if you've ever been asked a question, like if you could describe yourself in one word, or in, recently there was a school assignment of describe yourself in six words, your life story in six words. God starts with compassionate. When God wants to describe himself, what's, what's one word that comes, if God was in a job interview, what's one word that comes to mind to describe yourself? He starts with compassionate. And back to the 2 Corinthians verse that we looked at, he calls himself the God of all comfort. What a name. Sounds like maybe like a mattress store or something, but the God of all comfort, the father of mercies. That's how he describes himself. I am the Lord. What does that mean? I'm compassionate. See, God, it's not just that he sees. God sees, that's important. But we can see something and not care. You could say, okay, God sees me, great. So do the satellites in the sky. So does you know, NASA and Google and whoever else is spying on me. Everybody sees me. God sees and he cares. I love how it says it in 1 Peter also. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. He says, I care about you. I care about. Listen, God cares. God is compassionate. Over and over again in the New Testament, when Jesus is interacting with people, it will, it will put these ideas together where it will say that Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them and then does something. He sees and has compassion and then acts. This is who we have as our God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And as we experience this, as we believe this, as you know, God cares for me. It trains us to then care for one another. We are told in Colossians, therefore as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Again, it's interesting that the first thing is you are chosen by God and so put the first thing that God describes himself as is compassionate. You put on compassion as well. We are called to look at one another's lives and care, to have compassion. And that has all sorts of manifestations. But one of the manifestations, and I mentioned this in the very beginning of our time together today, not in the sermon, but Paul says this, rejoice with those who rejoice. We can celebrate and weep with those who weep. See, that's if we care about one another, when each other is experiencing pain, we don't just try to make each other feel better. Uh, there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes what we're called to do is not make someone else feel better, but to actually make ourselves feel worse. And I don't mean you should make yourself feel worse, but I mean that we should be seeing one another's pain and actually weep with those who weep. What if what your friend or your spouse or your kids or who, who, your parents, what, what if what they need from you isn't just kind of a, a self-esteem booster, it's okay, it's going to be all right, but what they need is actually for you to cry with them, to weep with those who weep. Jesus cares for you. And the more that we experience that, the more that we care for other people and enter into their pain. This is why I, there's another verse that I like around this in Proverbs says, singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. 
and says, sometimes what we need to do is just cry with each other. And if you try to just go, oh, my friend, you're sad. It's okay. Let me sing a song to you that they go, you are a jerk. And it feels like you're ripping off my clothes. You're freezing me right now. It feels very cold. And a lot of times we do this well-intentioned, but still God says, enter into people's pain and care. Care so deeply that it actually moves you to weep. So God sees, God cares, and God, this is even moving a step deeper, God identifies with our pain. He actually says, it's my pain. Paul, who was, uh, before he became an apostle and wrote many of the letters that we have in the New Testament, was a persecutor of the early church. And Jesus appears to him and says this, Falling to the ground, this is Paul, who was previously named as Saul. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. Jesus has already died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. Who's Paul persecuting? The church. He's trying to drag Christians off to jail. He's trying to see them executed. And yet, what does Jesus say? You are persecuting me. I'm the one you are persecuting. Jesus so deeply identifies with his people that he can say, you are persecuting me. Jesus so deeply identifies with you that he can say, your pain is my pain. Your hurt is my hurt. Your persecution is my persecution. He deep, the Bible over and over again says we are one with Christ. We are united to Christ. We are in a union with Christ, which means we are so connected to him that he is able to say, you're persecuting me, which means your pain belongs to him. Now, look, we get this with other things. Sometimes with a sports team, uh, you might say, with if the I don't I don't even know who's playing right now. Let's say the are the Nuggets still playing? The Nuggets are playing, I think. Okay, nope, they're not playing. Okay, so the uh, <clears throat> the Avalanche. There we go. Okay, look at all you sports fan people. <clears throat> uh, so the Avalanche. And if you're a big hockey fan, you could say we lost. You didn't lose. You didn't do anything. You were sitting on your couch. You lost. You ate chips. That's what you did. You just drank beer and ate chips. How did you lose? You didn't win. You didn't lose. But we identify, and the more deeply you identify, the more, and sometimes, you know, when you win, it'll be like, oh, McDonald's will give you a free, a free pop for every, you know, home run that they hit. And you're like, okay, yes, we won. Now, you, you didn't win, but we deeply identify. Sometimes we feel this with our kids. We deeply identify so that their pain is our pain. Their hurt is our hurt. Their victory is our victory. Jesus is saying, your pain is my pain. That's a beautiful truth to latch on to. He doesn't just keep from a distance, but he says, it's mine because you're mine. Now, the same thing is what we're called to as God's people. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if one member suffers, one member of the church, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member suffers, 
We all suffer. Why? Because we're all connected. We're all one. This is as he's talking about us being one in the body of Christ. So that if one member suffers, we all suffer. That your pain is my pain. That's what we are called to do. That's how we are called to comfort. Which means this. We shouldn't try to avoid Sometimes when people are suffering or they're in pain or they're difficulty, it's almost, I'm not saying this is how it always is, but it can almost be like, ugh, I don't want to have to deal with that. That's kind of their thing. I don't want to get too close to that. I don't want to take any of that on. But it, we're actually called to take it on. We're actually called to enter into that. It might cost you something. It might be difficult for you and challenging for you. Your life might be going great but the people around you might be suffering and we're called to actually take that pain on and have it hurt us to deeply identify. And then touch is another one. Physical touch is one of the ways that we are comforted by God. And this one might be a little different, but it says this, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Now look, over and over again in the Bible, it has some language like this where it talks about God putting his hand upon us or God holding us. Now, that's obviously a metaphoric kind of language. God's hand doesn't actually come out and hold your hand. But there's a reason that he's choosing to use that kind of language. Not even just saying, I'm with you. He does say those kinds of things. But there's a reason that he chooses to use the kind of language that is physical. That is to say, I'm holding on to your hand. I have my hand upon you. There's a reason that he chooses to use this physical closeness of language with us. And then when we get to the New Testament and God is actually incarnate... Jesus often is actually doing just this, actually touching people. There's times that Jesus heals with a word where he says, go home, your child is healed. So he doesn't have to touch anybody. He can just speak a word and people are healed. Somebody grabs his robe once and they're healed. Jesus doesn't have to touch anybody. And yet, many, many times, he chooses to do just that. He chooses to touch the eyes, to touch the hand. Because physical touch is a way that God wants us to know that he comforts us. It's a way that he wants us to know, I know you're a physical creature. Imagine never being hugged. Imagine never having someone that actually engage, just puts their hand upon you. We're physical people. And so God says, one of the ways that I comfort you is that I hold on to you. Now, we don't have Jesus physically here with us today. So it's kind of in the Old Testament, you get a lot of this language. In the New Testament, God shows up in Jesus and begins actually touching people. And then now we're kind of back to this place where it's this language again. But God wants to use this language to bring comfort, to say, I hold on to you. And this is the same thing that we are called to. Uh, when Paul is leaving, some people that he has spent a long time with, says after he said this, that he was going to be leaving and wouldn't see them again, he knelt down and prayed with all of them 
There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him. We're going to practice that in a moment. I'm just joking. Grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And then also throughout the New Testament, not necessarily in the context of suffering, but in many of Paul's letters, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy And it's this idea that physical affection and expression is important. I, w- I was in, uh, many of you know, in Mexico City and in Colombia a couple months back, and we visited a, an orphanage for special needs kids. Many of them will live their whole life there. They're in wheelchairs, hooked up to tubes, and all sorts of problems. And walking into these rooms with hundreds of kids, I mean, what I'm a, I'm a words person, and with words not really being able to do anything, it's like, what do you, what do, you do? And all I could do was just kind of put my hand on a kid, put my hand on a kid, squeeze this kid's hand. That's, that's all I could even know what to do. Sometimes that's actually exactly what is needed, and sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes we wonder with the people around us that are suffering, what can I say? What can I do? Maybe nothing, but maybe you can hold their hand. Maybe you can put your hand on their head. Maybe you can hug them. Maybe you can just rub their back. There's physical touch that is a way that we can bring comfort into those lives that are suffering. God says, that's part of how I comfort you. If we could be with Jesus, guarantee you, he would be hugging us, putting his hands upon us. God says, I hold on to you. When you experience that, we begin to give that. With the comfort, all of these things, with the comfort God has given us, we are able to give to others. And if you're keeping track, fifth, God brings joy. God brings joy into our life. In Psalm 94, it says, when I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. We are filled with cares. We are filled with troubles at different times. And part of what God says is simply, I want to bring joy to you. I want to bring joy, which for us is a great gift. God doesn't only weep with you. He does weep with you, but God also wants to bring joy into your life. That's why so many times in the Bible it talks about the ability to rejoice in the middle of suffering because God is the God of all joy that even in the middle of our pain, he says, yeah, I do. I weep with you. I cry with you, but I also want to bring joy into your life. We're called to do the same thing. Proverbs says this, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Uh, You know, even colloquially, we say something like laughter is the best medicine. And there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes you have to use wisdom. Sometimes people need you to weep with them, but sometimes they need you to help them. I was talking to someone recently who had um, a friend that lost a leg through a disease, and they lost a leg. And they were trying to figure out, do I call them and kind of cry with them, or do I call them and tell them a bunch of like legless jokes? And knowing that either of those might be the appropriate thing in that moment. Come on in. No, there's a knocking sound over there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, A joyful heart, though, can be good medicine. A joyful heart can be the thing that actually we most need in the middle of our suffering. So what does that mean for you? I I don't know. Maybe those people around you, you need to tell them a joke. You need to watch a funny movie. You need to send them a funny card. I'm not sure. But sometimes somebody's suffering can become their whole identity. And they actually don't want that. 
So every time that we engage with them or every time that we see them, it's kind of just, oh, are, are you okay? Are you? And, and they actually go, man, I just want to play. I just want some joy. I just want some fun. We need the wisdom at the right time. But one of the ways that God brings comfort to us is bringing us joy, and he wants us to do the same with each other. Next, what God does is he actually just practically helps us. God actually helps us in the middle. He acts. He serves. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. God wants to practically help us in the troubles and the struggles that we are going through. When Jesus was on this earth, he healed people. He fed people. He actually did stuff for people. We looked at, again, last week, Jesus saying, I wash your feet. I meet your needs. That's what we are called to do, that God is a helper in our times of trouble. He doesn't just see. He doesn't just care. He's not just compassionate. He actually wants to help us in the middle of it. Sometimes helping in the middle of suffering gets a bad rap. It's like, oh, you just want to fix my problems. You're just trying to solve it. And sometimes, maybe especially guys kind of get the bad rap for that of, oh, you're just trying to fix everything and solve. Okay, and maybe it's because the first handful of things have been skipped. But I want people to actually help me in my trouble also. I want my stuff solved. I want my stuff fixed. So send, ladies, send all your husbands that are just trying to fix everything. Send them to me. Maybe they can fix all my stuff. We need help in the middle of our suffering. We need people that actually solve our problems and practically help us. Right now, God wants to help you in the middle of your trouble. The Holy Spirit, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the helper. God wants to help us in the middle of our trouble. He wants us to pray to him and answer our prayers, and he wants to help us give us daily bread and meet the needs that we have in our life. And we are called to bring that kind of comfort in the same way. We are called to practically show up and carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The burdens that you see the people around you have, we're called to carry them. We are called to love. That's the law of Christ. We're called to love in such a tangible, practical, specific way that we lift the burden. That someone else's burden is lighter because we are practically helping. Paul talks about this as well when he is asked, he, Paul's in jail and he says to Timothy, When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul's in jail and he doesn't just say to Timothy, Pray for me, but he actually asks him to meet practical needs. He wants his blanket and his books. He's a preschooler, basically. Just bring me my blanket and my books and a big beanbag chair. That's, if he had seen the slides, that might have been in some cheesy dip, you know. But he asks him to just meet practical needs. It's probably cold in a prison cell, so he wants the cloak. And he wants the scrolls, probably Old Testament writings, parchments, papers, maybe for him to be able to do stuff with. But he asks, meet my physical needs. Will you, Timothy, as I suffer? We are called to enter into people's lives and help practically. That might be a, a thoughtful gift that you give. It might be meals. It might be uh, helping watch someone's kids. There's all, think about the people that are suffering around you. What would it look like 
to say, I know that God has helped me, and I want to give that same kind of comfort and help others. And then, prayer is another big one. That's one that we can often think about. Jesus, again, as he shows up on the earth, he's often praying for people. We see Jesus praying for people for healing. We see Jesus praying for people in various situations. See Jesus, even as he's about to suffer, uh, going to the cross, he's actually praying for his disciples and their comfort and their unity. And Jesus is often praying for people as they're going to experience trouble. But you know what's a beautiful thing? Jesus is still praying for you. We don't think about that very often. I know I don't, but Hebrews says this, and there's other places in the Bible, but it says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he, is all, since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is actually bringing your life to the Father even as we are here. He is always living to intercede for you, to pray for you. Your prayer requests, Jesus prays for. I know that's a really weird concept. But Jesus hears your prayers and he even prays to the Father for you. And we obviously are called to pray for one another. That's part of how we can bring comfort. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, talking about such suffering that they were going through, he has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. He's saying that we're going through one of the worst times of our life, this terrible death. We know that God's going to deliver us, but you have actually helped us in the middle of this pain. You have helped us by your prayers. Sometimes that feels almost like nothing. We, we pray for someone like, oh, I don't know, all I can do is pray. But Paul says, no, that's actually a big deal. That's a big thing that you can do. Us actually committing to pray for people that are in suffering is a big deal. We don't always see what God does with it, but it does reach God's ears and God's heart and God's hands. And so we pray. And what this means also is when you pray for people, my encouragement is always not to even just say to someone as they share something with you, I'll pray for you, but to pray right then. Can you imagine in the New Testament, you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories of Jesus, or even the disciples later in Acts, and someone comes up to Jesus and says, I've got this leprosy thing, and Jesus says, oh, that's, thank you for telling me that, I'll pray for you later. Can you imagine, I mean, someone coming up to Jesus and sharing some need with them, and him saying, I'll, I'll pray for you later. Always he prays for someone then and there. And so people are sharing things with us all the time. And so often, as Christians, we say something like, I'll pray for you. But how about just do it right there? And if you do pray for them later, tell them you prayed for them. Send a text and say, I was praying this for you. Share your prayer with them. Those kinds of things. Paul does it all throughout his letters that he says, here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. I guarantee those brought encouragement to the people suffering. The next thing that we see is that God speaks to us in the middle of our suffering. David says, this is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. 
saying that in the middle of the difficulty that I face in life, what brings me encouragement, what helps me in the middle of my affliction is your promise or your speaking. He's saying, you have said certain things to me. God speaks into your life. As you suffer, as you deal with difficulty, God speaks. He wants you to know all some of the different things that we've looked at. He wants you to know this isn't the end. He wants you to know that that you're forgiven. He wants you to know that he can help. He wants you to know that he cares. He wants you to hear his voice speaking to you in the middle of your affliction. He wants you to know his word, his promise. He doesn't want you to wonder what he thinks, what he feels. He speaks to you. And we're called to do the same thing. In the middle of the suffering around us, we are called to speak. Proverbs says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Can you bring a good word to those that are struggling? Proverbs says later, there's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Means we can use our words in a way that hurts people, but if you use your words wisely, it can bring healing to where someone is struggling. It can bring healing to the pain that we have. Do you think about using your words? I know sometimes we say, I don't know what to say. And I sometimes we say dumb stuff. Sometimes we say to people in the middle of their suffering, well, what's God teaching you? And that might be okay, but that might not be the best thing to say at that moment because it turns suffering into just a lesson or a quiz to figure out. Well, sometimes we say things like it could be worse and that might be true, but I don't know if that brings any comfort to somebody. Instead, what we can do is use a wise tongue to share the truth of who God is, to share that God sees, to share that God knows, to share that God cares. We can speak God's word into people's lives in the middle of it. We can tell them, you're on my heart. We can tell them, that sucks. Sometimes that's what the tongue of the wise says. Sometimes the best thing you can say to someone is just, wow, that sucks, I'm sorry. Even just that can help. But we bring, through speaking, God's word into people's lives. And God is present with us. This is one that we probably cling on to a lot. This is probably the most famous psalm in the Bible. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. means right now, and in whatever pain that you've felt in your life, God is with you. God is with you. And in the middle, listen, you know what I wish? I wish this, I love Psalm 23, but I also hate it. Because I wish that it said, when I go through the darkest valley, you take me out of the darkest valley. I wish it said, because of you, I never go through the darkest valley. That's what I wish it said. That's not what it says, and that's not what's true. We go through dark valleys, and God is with you. We go through, in other translations, the valley of the shadow of death, and God is with you and wants to bring comfort through his presence. That's the same thing he calls us to. Paul says this again while he's in prison. 
make every effort to come to me soon. And then even later, skipping several verses, make every effort to come to me before winter. He is practically begging Timothy, I need to see you. I need, I need comfort just through your presence. And in the letter of 2 Corinthians, it, similarly it says, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, saying, life is hard, but people's presence in our life can bring comfort. Sometimes, again, that is all we can do. I don't know who it is that's suffering right now in your life, around you, but what if you remembered, God is with me in my suffering, I'm just going to go be with them. I've sat in hospitals with people dying, not really knowing what to say, but just being there. I'm sure you have just gone over to a friend's house and just been there with them. Even if you don't know what to say and what to do, and you can just be there. You can be present. This is what God has comforted us in and what he calls us to do as well. A couple more. It says in Hebrews that he understands us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This is talking about Jesus, that he was made like us, that God became human so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. We're told multiple times that Jesus was made like us. You know what that means? He understands. Jesus lived a human life. He experienced physical pain. He experienced betrayal by friends. He experienced friends not being there for him when he needed them. He experienced all the normal things of this world. He experienced injustice. He experienced persecution. He experienced misunderstanding and accusation and slander. He experienced the death of people that he loved. He experienced sickness around him. Jesus was made like us in every respect so that he could be merciful and faithful. He understands what we're going through. He gets what you're going through. There isn't a pain that we have that he doesn't understand. He understands whatever you have had happen in your life, whatever is happening in your life, and whatever will. He gets it. He's gone through it to some degree. And the same thing is what we are called to, which is why it says similar things for us. 1 Corinthians, it says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, which is to say that we go through all sorts of things in life, and it doesn't mean we're all tempted in the exact same way, but nothing has come upon you that's not common. And even looking at 2 Corinthians again, it says that when we receive God's comfort, we can comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. But what if it's not the same affliction you've gone through? It doesn't matter. If you have suffered and you know what it is to experience God's comfort, then you, the experience of suffering, the experience of temptation, you can understand as a human. It doesn't mean you, someone says that, 
oh, my child died, and you say, I get it, my fish died. It doesn't mean you say stupid things like that. But it does mean you understand suffering and pain in a broken world. And so we can identify and understand with the suffering and pain that others have gone through, just as Jesus understands ours. And then the final thing is this. It says that he invites us. Psalm 62 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And this is just one verse. I could have picked a million verses. Hebrews, again, has a verse that tells us to boldly come to his throne with our needs. Over and over and over again, God is basically begging us, come to me. Tell me what's going on. Pour your heart out before me. God is calling us over and over, inviting us. It's not just that God is all these things that I'm saying. I could say that God sees and God cares and God understands and he identifies. And all that can kind of be over here. And we can still be over here. But God is actually telling us, come over here. I want you to know my seeing and my caring and my understanding and my helping. It's saying, come to me. Pour out your hearts before me. He is inviting us into experience all of his comfort in the middle of our pain. Over and over again, inviting us. You have pain? You have suffering? You have sorrow? God says, pour your heart out to me. Come to me. Don't hold on to it. And it's the same thing that we are called to do. Paul models this for us. He says, again, in this letter, 2 Corinthians, we don't want you to be unaware brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so we even despaired of life itself. He's saying, we went through this the hardest time that we've ever faced, but he starts with saying, we don't want you to be unaware. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, I want to actually invite you in to my pain. He is inviting them into his pain so that he can be a part of experiencing comfort from them, and so that he can testify to the comfort that God has given to him in the middle of the pain. This is what we are called to do. Which means, first, we have to share our pain. So many times we struggle silently. And if God is saying, I invite you to share, we have to share our pain with God, but with one another as well. People can't comfort you and love you if you haven't shared your pain with them. But it also means that just as God invites us, we invite one another. We say to each other, I see this going on. How is, how is this going? Tell me about your heart. Tell me, it seems like it's hard for you right now. We pursue and invite people to share with us. Not just, well, whenever they're ready, they'll share with me. That might be true. There might be some wisdom. I'm not saying you try to get secret information. But we invite people, share with me. I want to know. I want to know what's hard for you. We all have an opportunity. We have people in our life all the time that are suffering. I don't know who's suffering in your life. I don't know who around you has difficulty, but we all have opportunity often in simple little comments like this was really hard for me or this person you know, kind of mistreated me or big things, sickness and 
health issues and job issues, big things and small things all the time. Wouldn't our relationships be better if we could grow in helping one another, comfort one another in the middle of our suffering? The way that we do this is exactly what Paul said in the beginning. We receive from God his comfort. That's why I wanted to give you a big list of all the ways that God has comforted you. God has comforted you in so many ways. And the more that you receive those ways, the more you're able to give those out to other people. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, what we are remembering, if you're a Christian, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us, and that on the cross, it says of Jesus, that he bore our griefs and our sorrows. We're remembering the ultimate way that God has entered into our suffering. We're remembering the ultimate way in which he has sought to comfort us in the ultimate affliction that we have. Not just sickness and not just job issues, but our ultimate affliction is our sin. And on the cross, Jesus says, I bear the sickness and the sorrow and the grief of all this broken world has to bring you the ultimate comfort, the comfort of forgiveness through the cross, the comfort of his salvation, the comfort of adoption into his family. And as we take communion, we also look forward to a day when we won't have to experience God's comfort in our suffering anymore because all suffering will be gone. We look forward to a day when he returns. Jesus said to take communion in remembrance of him, what he's done, but also we look forward to what he will do and the ultimate comfort that he will one day bring. So as you take communion, just pray and ask to receive God's comfort if that's what you need today. Maybe to confess where you've kind of just self-sufficiently handled it and haven't received his comfort. And then ask him to help you to comfort those around you. To be a big cheese blanket to the people that are suffering around you. Father, I thank you that you are the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. You see, you care, you identify with, you touch, you bring joy, you help, you intercede, you speak, you're present, you understand, you invite. I thank you. You are the God of all comfort. You are the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. I pray that you would help us experience that and help us to give that. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.